Welcome to the Low Rates High Returns podcast where we'll uncover the timeless investment principles so you can escape the rat race, earn passive income and create lasting wealth. I'm Pete Wargent, investor and financial coach and I'm joined by Stephen Moriarty, private investor and the co-author of our new book, Low Rates High Returns. In each episode of this podcast, we talk about the crucial concepts around managing your own money, how to invest, when to invest and the key lessons we've learned along the way about generating passive income. The things we discuss in this episode shouldn't be taken as financial advice, and we recommend you reach out to a licensed professional advisor who can help you with your unique circumstances. Enjoy the show. G'day, Pete Wadgen here. So this is probably our most ambitious podcast series yet. Why? Because everyone in investing has an opinion and an interpretation of Warren Buffett and his investment style. If you Google Uncle Warren, you'll get 72 million results and there's no doubt that he's the king of investing. What we want to do is determine if we can distill Buffett's 80-odd years of investing into a podcast mini-series that can help you as an investor. So we'll list a few Buffettisms and we'll dissect each one in a little detail to try and extract the wisdom, what lessons can we learn, which are the important lessons. And what we can see is that many of them are on the same topics and expresses the same point in different ways. And we'll finish this series with the ultimate question, is Warren Buffett unique and can we all be a little bit more like Buffett? So join us as we discuss the Buffett philosophy, his principles of investing and what we can learn and whether we can replicate his style to build your wealth. And after all, As Buffett himself said, your best investment is in yourself and there's nothing that compares to it. So join Steve Moriarty and myself as we dissect a few Buffettisms and see what we can glean from the master. Cheers. G'day, welcome to the Low Rates High Returns podcast with me, Pete Wargent. I'm here with Stephen Moriarty. G'day, Steve. How's things? Good, Pete. How are you? I'm really good, thanks. So one of the subjects that we've talked about previously, so uh, welcome, by the way. This is the penultimate episode in our Warren Buffett mini-series. So I was going to say there, Steve, one of the things we've talked about previously as um, inhabitants of Brisbane and Queensland is uh, Brisbane floods and how... People tend to have short memories. Uh, Sadly, this week I've been talking to some friends in East Timor because as some listeners would know, I used to live in East Timor for a number of years and there's been some terrible flooding there this week. And I, I was just thinking back to maybe about a decade ago when as part of my work out there, I was actually sent out to inspect some of the flood defences and they were. it wasn't even that long since the previous flooding. And they were already in disrepair. And in fact, people were actually camping or living in the Camorro River down there. So it just shows how people can be ill-prepared, but also uh, short memories tend to be the order of the day. So anyway, hopefully um, things are on the mend down there in Dili and East Timor, and hopefully everyone's okay. So on the um, the subject of uh, things being built to last or otherwise, so I've been on holiday this week in Newcastle, not Newcastle, New South Wales, that's Newcastle in England. I drove across the Tyne Bridge there, which was built in the mid-1920s, and it was actually uh, constructed by the same crew that ended up doing the Sydney Harbour Bridge. And it's pretty interesting, you know, I, I did the uh, the walk across Sydney Harbour Bridge when I had the 75th year anniversary about 15 years ago, 
and there was a bit of commentary on how the thing was built and it's pretty amazing there's there's something like eight lanes of traffic there and there's trains going across it and that was for a bridge that was built in the 1930s and you know there's something like six million rivets on it and the guy doing the tour showed us how the the foundations went something like 12 meters down into the earth uh, so even at a time when there wasn't effectively any kind of traffic in today's terms and yet today the thing is basically unshakable and that is the classic example of a margin of safety it's a bridge built to withstand almost any event um, so that's uh, going to be a theme for today uh, so today we're going to talk about the Kelly criterion or uh, Warren Buffett as a Kelly investor and we've identified uh, six criteria for what we think would make for a Kelly investor. So we're going to run through those in order, see uh, whether Warren Buffett complies or how he might comply with those criteria. So Steve, obviously the margin of safety is probably probably one of the key ways to sum up uh, the Kelly style of investing. The, the margin of safety idea first came from uh, Ben Graham, I think back in about, I think the 20s, somewhere around there. And what he said was, um, confronted with a challenge to distill the secret of sound investment into three words, we venture the motto margin of safety. And um, as you mentioned, basically what he was saying was, in those old times, he wanted to buy a dollar for 50 cents. The idea not being that, you know, you'd make it an absolute mozza of money. The idea was, what if I'm wrong? And what if the dollar is not really worth a dollar, but it's only worth 80 cents? And so what he was saying was, you know, in those days when they when they thought about um, much more about book value in terms of the company, um, what Graham was saying was, well, if the company's assets were worth, you know, let's say a million bucks, he would want to get them for 700,000 or less because what he was saying was, well, I think they're worth a million bucks, but if they're not and they're only worth 800,000, then if I paid, for example, 900,000, then you're actually behind. Um, and so it, it's a really, really important part of the way Buffett thinks about um, the way he invests his money. And so it... Um, it also gets to the heart of the Kelly criterion by basically saying, I mean, the, the idea of Kelly is survival. Um, and what, it, what that comes from is this approach to risk, but over a, over a, a long time period. Um, and it's, it's often always sort of the, what, the one idea that sort of distills it is this idea of Russian roulette where, you know, you've got one bullet in a chamber of six, well, that gives you an 83% chance of winning. And if you do it for a million bucks, most people would say no, because they realise that it's not the probability of winning, it's what happens as a consequence of getting it wrong. And, you know, it's the same way that Ben Graham sort of looked and, and Warren Buffett looked at investing, were basically saying, look, the whole idea is that you've got to survive first. That necessitates the idea of thinking about risk and also what it means in terms of, you know, like you often mention about Buffett's, you know, 20, the, the punch card with 20 investments. What he's saying is, look, you don't need to bet on everything at every point in time. You know, if you've got this, just build it and the survival mentality 
and you use that margin of safety, then that, that will stand you in good stead over the longer term. Yeah, so one of the key uh, functions of the Kelly style of uh, betting or investing is that you, you actually adjust the size of your investment or bet um, in relation to your pool of capital. So it does essentially ensuring that you you always survive for the long term. So, and um, I think we've talked uh, way back in one of the earlier episodes, you can track it down um, actually about what the, the Kelly style of investing entails, uh, but it's about optimizing the long run return on your capital. So let's run through those six criteria then, Steve, that we've identified. Uh, so firstly, um, EMT versus CGT, uh, to use a bit of a, a jargon. Uh, so uh, capital growth theory um, is the Kelly style investor would uh, not look at investing as a one time event. Uh, what what it's really saying is, look, there's this is multi-period investing and therefore, um, well, I guess I'll let you uh, kick in there, Steve, and give your explanation of the, the different way in which you might look at risk, um, whether uh, depending on whether you're a believer in the efficient markets hypothesis, can't even get the words out today, or um, how Kelly looks at the idea of risk in yeah. relation to the capital growth theory. Yeah, um I think it's a really, really important distinction. I wouldn't mind just running through it, Pete, because I think this is really the crux of how people invest. You either believe or follow the efficient market stuff or you, you the alternative being uh, Kelly. And as you said, we've dealt with it before, but I just want to reiterate it here because it's a, a really key point in talking about um, Kelly criteria and the way Buffett thinks about it. So I'll just use an example. What happened was in the efficient market theory, what they said was, why don't investors put all their money in one stock? And the obvious argument is because it's too risky. So Markowitz, who developed the theory, developed this sort of system where investors would maximise their expected return and minimise risk. Okay, nothing wrong with that. What they his example was, look at all the stocks and find the best single stock with the highest expected return. So, for example, a drug stock whose new drug gets approval. So it may jump from $10 to $100 if it's approved, and it's got a 20% chance of approval. So when you do, when you do the probabilities and the multiplication, you get basically saying the stock is going to go or could go from $10 to $20, right? So that's an expected return of 100%. Now, he said, well, you wouldn't do that because it's too risky. So what you want to do is look for as many of those expected return opportunities as possible, i.e. you diversify your portfolio. And what he says is, okay, you don't end up doubling your money, but you end up with a a sort of steady return, but a much lower probability of losing your money. So instead of having, for example, an 80% chance of losing it, you've only got a 20% chance. What Markowitz said was, Risk is bad and investors will pay by foregoing better expected returns to reduce it. What Kelly said was he had a different approach. He agreed and said, okay, yep, you shouldn't bet 100% of your money, but he looked at it from a different perspective, or he said for a different reason. He said, yeah, you'll lose lose 80% of the time 
But what you'll lose access to is also all the other positive expected value opportunities, right, that arise in the future. And that's a really important part. So what he says is, look, it's got nothing to do with your preferences or the risk being bad. And he said, if this is the only bet you'll face, then Kelly said that it doesn't tell you anything. Kelly is the thing that you use over a lifetime of investing and hence the reason why it focuses on capital growth. That's a really important point because Buffett says that. Buffett says, I'm interested in growing the capital growth. And that that gives you a little bit of a hint about the way Buffett invests. And so what for the efficient market, its key is diversification. And Kelly agreed with that. But what he said was the key was bet sizing. One, sto- uh, one stock is over betting and it didn't matter if there were other stocks to invest in or not. So it, we've gone through the theory there, but just to talk about this in practice for a moment, because uh, one of the things that people often uh, say to me or I hear people say is, oh, well, you don't want to get out of the market because you might miss the opportunity to get back in and you'll never get back in and, and so on. And look, that may be true if you took the view that there was only one asset class and one market and one type of investment to do. But the reality is these days, as we know, you can invest, you don't have to invest in uh, an Australian index fund, you can invest in any country, any sector, you can invest in other asset classes. So the idea that there's never going to be another opportunity to compound your money at a good rate is not quite true. In fact, it's not true at all. Uh, so I think it's, um, you know, and we, we know from Buffett's history, he's always looked for the opportunities to invest and compound his growth, cons- uh, compound his wealth consistently. Uh, now, he partly uh, potential uh, because of the time that he has invested through. He's largely focused on U.S. stocks and, and looked for the out of favor uh, sectors or companies. But I mean, these days he would invest internationally. In fact, we all can. Uh, so that's that's one of the things to bear in mind is that you don't have to be focused on one market or indeed fully invested in any one market at any time. Yeah. The diversification aspect is really um, is really important because essentially what what Kelly was saying, and it gets back again in time, what Kelly was saying was, look, if you have a series, let's say, you know, 10 years, over the next 10 years, you're going to get the opportunity to invest money, to compound it at a higher rate of return, and it's going to come at you once a year and your odds of winning are say 70%. So in other words, they're better than, they're better than even money. What Kelly said was you should bet the same amount of money or same amount of your total wealth as a fraction on every one of those occasions. Yes, you will lose on two or three occasions, but overall you will win and compound your capital. So what the the important part of Kelly was saying, don't bet all your money, and that's what they call the fractional betting. So if you had $100, you should bet $70 every time. Then if you lost your money, the next pool of capital, you've only got $30 left. If the same situation came up again, what Kelly said was, you should bet 70% of your $30. 
and he, he what the 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 way the mathematics works out is basically saying if you continue to do that there's a really small percentage that you'll go bankrupt but there's a really high percentage that you will outperform and grow your capital um so it's a really really important point there the two of them is it takes a different approach because Markowitz in the efficient market theory looks at one bet whereas what Kelly says is no 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 you can bet all these other future times that's a really important point and the other one is the fractional betting which as you know Buffett talks about holding a bucket load of cash for Berkshire Hathaway the reason why is is Kelly in the sense of Buffett saying there will be a future opportunity and I want to have money to be able to make sure I can cash in on that and secondly to say that there's always a minimum level of cash and I think it's 20 billion that they will hold and again it's a it ties back to saying the idea of risk what if I'm wrong it's okay I've got 20 billion to cover my money um to cover my investments and so again it's a really really important part of kelly that brings it as a distinction from the efficient market stuff yeah so i mean cutting through the jargon now i guess we all understand this idea intuitively if you go to the casino and you you say right i'm going to bet $100 tonight that's my allocation for betting you know if you lose $50 on the first spin of the wheel you're not going to stick $50 on the next spin because your <laughs> evening's going to be over in, in 15 minutes in saying that i have done that uh, usually after alcohol but uh, so you, you might decide to to reduce the size of your bet just to to stay in the game essentially now i guess um, and you you've uh, effectively segued there into the second of our criteria survival Uh, and fractional betting is a key part of that um adjusting the bet size in relation to the pool of capital now you mentioned a couple of things there one is that uh, buffett has said that to ensure the survival of berkshire over the long run um berkshire's going to be like a fortress and they'll always hold this massive buffer of cash so that whatever happens a huge insurance claim a black swan event they will always be around Uh, so that is the first part of the survival. Now the fractional betting thing is an interesting one because we know from uh, and as we've discussed previously uh, when Buffett has seen big opportunities as he did in Coca-Cola. I mean he had the bulk of their wealth in just three investments essentially. So he has had the confidence to really uh, when the big opportunity comes along uh, swing for the fence. Now I guess the mo- most of us as mere mortals probably don't have the same level of confidence uh, in investing in individual companies certainly not with such a a large portion of our net worth and that that's where maybe the the, uh, the fractional kelly approach to investing comes in uh, because it can be a tad nerve-wracking um if you start going uh, putting large amounts of of uh, your net worth into in, an individual company. Yeah, it um it ties into the 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 third criteria too, which is this stuff about having an edge over the odds. And as you know, Pete, we talk a lot about the cape ratio, and I I consider that my edge over the odds. And what I mean by that is and a couple of points I want to discuss here. First one is that most investors make the mistake of over allocating and what i mean by that is when the market's booming they tend to have too much money in the market because it gets expensive 
and we've got an idea. We don't know when it's going to crash, but what I know is the expected payoff is going to be a loss of 50%. Okay, um, I'll take my money out of the market or a lot of it. People tend to, again, say, oh, you know, you'll miss out on the return. But if you buy at a dollar and it goes to a dollar fifty, if you don't cash in and it goes back to 75 cents, well, you know, I look like the clever one if I'm holding a dollar and you're at 75 cents. So I think the CAPE ratio gives us a really good basis for actually saying this is how I should allocate my money. The second part of that, which feeds into this idea of survival uh, risk and allocation, is having a cash component. And so, again, what it's, it's very counterintuitive, but if you hold cash, you will actually make more money than a fairly standard portfolio. And the reason why is because the cash allows you, as I mentioned before with Buffett, to take advantage of when the market does crash. So even if you've got a lot of money in the market, let's say it crashes, the worst position is to say, and I haven't got any money to put in at the bottom. That's the really bad part for retirees. It's a really, really damaging thing to go from a million or 1.5 million and lose 30 or 40% of your wealth and not be able to say, well, that's okay. I've got another million. I'll put it in at the bottom again. And again, that's why the cash part becomes, it's counterintuitive, but it tells you that that's the reason why you can succeed again is because you can say, oh, well, that's okay. I can buy things now when it's cheap. So those three things really tie together and they form, in a sense, the 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 core of, I think, Buffett's investment philosophy. Yeah, actually, uh, you've um, touched on a really interesting point there, Steve, that I hadn't really planned to talk about today, but let's do it anyway. Um, and that is, I guess, if you were uh, benchmarking yourself against the ASX 200, and uh, I guess it's a problem that faces a lot of fund managers, if the ASX has returned 7% per annum over 15 years and your fund has done 6.3 or something, then investors might look at it and say, well, hang on, what am I paying you for here? Um, but I, I, can, I think I can honestly say in all of my adult life, I've never once looked at my net worth and tried to benchmark it against a specific index. I just, I don't, I don't think it's even crossed my mind until this conversation that I would do that. I mean, essentially, um, it's pretty straightforward. All I've got is a, is a basic spreadsheet of my assets and liabilities, and I just update it every six months or annually. And I guess I, um, yeah, I've just never tried to uh, consider benchmarking myself against an index. Um, and I, I assume, you know, when you look at an investor like Buffett, he would he would be the same as a Kelly style investor. He's not really. Um, I, I know that actually in the the annual report, Berkshire will uh, show the S and P five hundred uh, returns over decades and and the increase in Berkshire's net the book value of Berkshire, which is effectively compounded it. 20% versus 10, but it's not the way a Kelly-style investor would choose to invest. You're looking for a margin of safety, a really good opportunity to compound your wealth safely and not really spending too much time worrying about what an individual stock market is doing from, from week to week. Yeah, it, it's a you raise a really good point. And I'm the same, Pete. I've never bothered to look at the market and go, oh, I've beaten the market. The reason why is quite simple. Buffett, and, and you've alluded to it with Buffett in the annual report, what Buff, Buffett said, the S&P is not his benchmark. His benchmark is building capital. 
Now, a really, really important point that people need to understand about this, and I, I, I harp on it a lot, it is absolutely irrelevant if you beat the market for one or two or five years. It is completely irrelevant. The key is saying, how do I build wealth over 20 or 30 years? And the reason why I say that is not as an excuse for underperformance, but what Kelly says is, when you bet in multiple periods of time, you will get underperformance. It is absolutely built into the Kelly criterion where, for example, if I dealt you, you know, an ace of spades and we're playing blackjack, if I dealt to you 20 times in a row, there'll be a run where you look at it, bet a lot of money and lose. And it's it's basically just the way that the cards work. So, what Kelly is saying is you will always have periods of underperformance and that's exactly what Buffett knows and, and indeed has underperformed in the last 10 years. The reason why is quite simple because the market's been going absolutely gangbusters. So the, but for my part, I do the same thing by saying, am I building my wealth? Now, I don't care whether I get 2% or 20%. The reason being because that's a percentage figure. I look at it and say, for example, you know, it costs me $100,000 a year to live. Okay, well, that's what I need to look at. Now, you can't, again, get a bit tricky and say, well, did you make 100000 every year? Because some years I'll make two or 300000 Other years I might go down 50000 My point being, we get stuck in this idea of saying, did you beat the market? How did you go this year? And the reality is, All you can do is say, this is a really good opportunity. I should bet more than I normally do. This is a really bad opportunity and therefore I should be more conservative. And that's what Kelly is saying. Kelly is saying, look, if the the market's really expensive and there's a high cape ratio, high probability of a loss, it's like being dealt the crappiest card in the deck and you thinking that you should bet all your money on it. It's a really dumb way to do it. Uh, That's how a lot of people actually invest. And it's not the way that you compound your money at the best rate possible. And so the, the compounding bit becomes really, really important when we start talking about Kelly. Yeah, so the fourth criteria, I think we've we've actually already covered there. And that is um, a Kelly style investor will bet when you've got an edge over the odds. Um, So uh, we've talked about the Cape ratio as a way to identify whether a market is cheap. Uh, Buffett would probably talk instead about his circle of competence and identifying stocks. Uh, now, he's got a deep knowledge on industries. He's got a unique knack for identifying businesses with a strong moat and uh, whether a company is going to generate sustainable returns over the long run. Uh, now, for us as individuals, maybe we maybe we can do that, but alternatively, we can simply look for markets that are cheap by using the Cape ratio, and it's just about having uh, the patience uh, to invest at the right time. You know, just like when you buy groceries when they go on sale, or look for those cheap pizzas at ten to five. It's the, it's the same same principle. You're looking for the right time to invest, and having the patience to wait for those opportunities to come around. And I think there's probably something about uh, character and personality in that that particular criteria. Uh, so uh, the fifth one that we identified, Steve, is uh, Kelly and compounding. I think you've sort of alluded to the, the point already, but 
um, what the Kelly style of investment really holds is that compounding is not just about time. Compounding is really about the expected return on an investment. And that's, that's a subtle but absolutely key difference. I'm astounded with compounding, Pete, because I'm a little bit obsessed with it. Because when you see those compounding charts, you know, and they go from the, the exponential curve, um, you know, the rice on the, uh, the chessboard stuff. What people don't realise is this. Compounding is not about time. If you compound your money at 2%, you can compound it for 30 years before you double it. Well, you know, welcome to the club, but 30 years is a long time. You can double it in five years if you compound at 14.4%. So my point is this. It's the rate at which you get to compound it. Time has got zero to do with it. It's good if you can do it for a long period of time, like Buffett. But the key to Buffett is betting when the odds are heavily in his favour and he's got a really good expected return. Hence the reason why Buffett invests a lot of money in market crashes, because the earnings yield or the expected return becomes really high. So it's like saying when you start out compounding at 10 or 12 percent, you don't you don't really need to get 10 years down the track and say, oh, I should sell this investment because you've made so much money out of it, not because you've held it for 10 years, but because your compounding rate, you know, your rate of interest was fantastic to start with. That's where Buffett's been really successful by saying, here's a great opportunity. It's worth putting more money in because the expected return is really, really high. That's how you do it with Kelly betting. You can't do it that way with the efficient market stuff. And it's a, it's a really, really uh, defining point. And I often say to people, if you can wait for those market crashes, you will make a lot more money over the lifetime of investing. All you have to do is say, I, I have to sit here and wait for them to arrive. But when they do, then the old Buffettism of, you know, reach for a bucket, not a thimble, is the way that you should um, approach the market. Yeah, yeah. And I think we've talked uh, before about how an investment's in the FTSE, uh, the, uh, the peak of the tech bubble, uh, the <laughs> dividend yield was crap. I think you'd finally probably got your capital back in 2021 yep. but uh, well in fact i think even now you'd probably be uh, struggling to have seen any capital growth but also uh, the earnings yield was rubbish as well yeah and i think that is that is something we've mentioned before the the importance of investing when the expected returns are high yes it makes all the difference and then you really can own stuff for a long time because that that yield will just keep on delivering so yes. the sixth and final criteria which is on uh, Kelly and you or Kelly and the individual because the optimal investment strategy I suppose in the end doesn't really give a damn whether you're 25 <laughs> or 55 or 105 the expected returns are what they are now is there um, something in this though uh, that I mean I guess if you look at uh, Buffett and Munger in their 90s I mean they're still looking to do exactly what they've always done they're just looking for great opportunities to continue compounding their wealth is there something to be said though Steve uh, as you approach your wealth goal uh, for changing your approach yeah um, 
There's two parts, Pete. You're, you're right on both counts. What Kelly said is the optimal mix, I suppose, of risky investments is independent of the, of the individual's wealth um, and the, what your sort of personal risk level is. So it's a little bit like saying, I've been dealt an ace, but I'll subjectively interpret that. Rather, what Kelly says is, listen, the next card you get is the next card you're going to get. You've got nothing to do with it. So that's why Buffett has sort of, in some senses, I think, a bit of a nerves of steel because he just looks at the odds and says, this is a, this is a time to bet, bet a lot of money, which he does. The beauty of the stock market, as opposed to the, the sort of card market, if I can put it to you that way, or games of blackjack and stuff, which is in blackjack, you bet and you either win or lose, but you lose that capital. In the stock market, the beauty of the stock market is that you can sort of lose, but only temporarily by saying, oh, well, you know, the market's fallen another 10%, but you've still got 90% of your capital there. The sort of important point being your individual position doesn't affect the size of the odds or the sequence of returns. So what Kelly was also saying was that when you look at it in that way, you get to see and understand when you should bet more or bet, you know, a larger amount of money um, because it's not really got anything to do with you. The one caveat which you mentioned there is Kelly said you always should define a wealth goal. Now, what that means is, let's say, for example, you said, I want to retire and I want five million bucks. If you get to 4.5 million, you're, you know, roughly 10% away from your wealth goal. What Kelly said is, if you get a really good bet and it says bet, you know, three and a half million, what Kelly says is, no, 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 don't do that because you're close to your wealth goal. If you lose three and a half, you're now back to a million bucks. Again, that's where fractional Kelly came in. And Kelly, you might say, well, I'll do a quarter Kelly, right? So if if a full Kelly says bet four million, a quarter Kelly might say, all right, bet a million bucks. And so again, what it's saying is, as you get richer or closer to your goal, you probably should bet less and less because we know there might be a bad run. And if it's a bad run near the end of your wealth, that's when you strike trouble. And so that's what happens to a lot of people in 07. They had a million bucks in their super, barreling along, all going well, Then when the market crashed, it cut their wealth in half. And so that's the problem. They went, you know, you lose so much of your money that you've now got to work another five years to try and get some of it back. And then to pile misery on top of that, you haven't got another pool of capital which can take advantage of the market when it's low to, you know, to generate that capital again. So it gets back to that that thing we talked about at the start. Kelly is a series in time of bets that you look at the odds at each of those points in time. And how we do that is by saying, what's the Cape ratio? It's really high. Okay, I'm not going to bet. When the Cape ratio comes along next time, or as you know, we talk about in Russia or Turkey, where it's low, that's where we'll have a bet. And so you you get to understand that it's not the same as the efficient market theory, 
which is just this continuous, you know, feeding money into the market, whether the market's cheap or expensive. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, and that's the biggest argument of all, I think, for man- learning to manage your own money is that you don't you don't have to be um, at the whims of a fund manager having uh, a huge portion of your net worth exposed to an expensive market if you don't want to and if you're close to your wealth goal or retirement. So I think, though, when you look at the, the ABS statistics, if you live to 65 these days, you might expect to live for, what, 17 years or 18 years uh, beyond the retirement date. So I think there's a good argument for saying, and touch wood, if we're healthy, you could be around for much longer, that you would um, ideally continue to compound your wealth uh, to the retirement date and beyond all the way through your lifetime. But uh, yeah, you just wouldn't be wanting to take on big risks at, at the later stage in life. So I think to wrap up, Steve, on those six criteria, I think I think it's clear that Buffett he does fulfill those criteria. In fact, a book recommendation for you, uh, Robert G. Hagstrom, The Warren Buffett Portfolio, where he talks about uh, Buffett as the Kelly-style investor. And he's he's got a real knack for explaining these things in good, plain English that we can all understand. The principles there, so uh, Buffett, uh, survival is obviously key. Um, he said that uh, Berkshire will be around come hell or high water uh, through black swan events or whatever comes along. Uh, don't overbet or overexpose yourself to uh, risky positions. But when uh, you do have an edge over the odds, having the confidence uh, to place a big bet, um, clearly Buffett has been very successful in doing that. And uh, we mentioned there at the end, compounding and long-term success. So looking for a high expected return because that's how you compound your wealth. And I think um, we'll wrap up next week with the final episode in the Warren Buffett mini-series on how we think anyone can adopt these principles and be a successful investor over the long term, uh, just like Warren, but uh, with maybe some slight adjustments to make it a bit easier. So thank you for joining today and we look forward to seeing you next week. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks, Pete. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you want to know more, you can download a free chapter and extra bonuses from our new book, Low Rates, High Returns. Just visit www.lowrateshighreturns.com forward slash book to download your free copy. The things we've discussed in this episode shouldn't be taken as financial advice and we recommend you reach out to a licensed professional advisor who can help you with your unique circumstances. Stephen and I are both on LinkedIn and Twitter, so do reach out and connect with us. And finally, it'd be great if you could subscribe and leave us a review. It really helps others to find the show. Now take care and invest wisely. Cheers. Cheers.